Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 21 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're at our Season 2 finale, watching The Invisible Man from 2020. This will be our last episode of our second season, but don't worry, Season 3 will be back after a short break, starting on August 3rd. Our audience feedback survey is live, and we need your help and suggestions on how to make Season 3 even better. You can find it at bit.ly slash DASSurvey2020. The link's in our social media and in this episode's show notes. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be invisible. Whoa. Which was funny because when Kelly shook it, it did turn not invisible. Yeah, it turns out <laughs> when, you, when you make liquids cold, they kind of get uh, uh, opaque. No, yes, yeah. opaque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode will contain discussion on gaslighting, domestic abuse, sexual assault, and self-harm. If any of these topics are things that you don't need to hear today, we totally understand. Feel free to skip this episode. I made this one. Yeah, you did. Uh, I wanted to go with the obvious joke that it's clear because it's the invisible man. Whoa. I I didn't even get that from before. But now that you're saying it, I'm like, of course. I'm just going to call this drink the invisible cocktail. (laughs) And like now that it's had time to sit, it is invisible again. Yeah, it's uh, it's mostly just Mad Labs premium vodka. (laughs) And then I didn't want us to just be drinking vodka for this episode. So there's... uh, I'll just say it. There's peppermint in it. Nice. <laughs> Some peppermint schnapps. Yeah. So it's um refreshing like the end of this movie. Yeah. Getting justice. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of also, for some reason, like you said, it's refreshing. And like the opening of the movie when they have the invisible man, like the title cards and stuff, they are revealed through crashing waves. Oh, which yeah. Which kind of feels refreshing to me, too. Like it could embody that. That's true. Yeah, I could see that. It tastes like what you imagine this movie to look taste like. Except peppermint to me says Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Who gave us this, by the way? Oh, yeah. My mom gave me the peppermint schnapps when she was emptying out her liquor cabinet of things that she didn't want anymore. Thanks, Kelly's mom. Yeah, she is an official sponsor of the podcast. (laughs) We probably have drank something that she's made or that she got us before already. I think we used the peppermint schnapps in like hot chocolate or a coffee or something for a Christmas episode. For a candle nights episode? For a candle nights episode. Yeah, probably. That that sounds like something we've done. Yeah, or I planned to do it, but then I got sick. So this week we watched The Invisible Man, which premiered on February 28th, 2020. It's written and directed by Lee Winnell, and it's based on The Invisible Man film from 1933. This is also the last movie Shar and I saw in theaters before the COVID happened. Whoa. Yeah. I remember going to see it and I specifically was like, let's not do this for the podcast because I knew that it would be very near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. But every movie that we do these days seems to be that. So I thought, why not make it our season finale? We had to do a modern movie in this season. And this is the only one that's come out this year. Yeah, because they keep delaying everything, which is very fair. Got to be safe. This film stars Elizabeth Moss as the woman escaping from her abusive ex, Cecilia. Oliver Jackson Cohen as her abusive ex, Adrian Griffin, a.k.a. The Invisible Man. Harriet Dyer as her well-meaning sister, Emily, and Aldous Hodge as safe house friend and cop, James. I stole this synopsis from IMDb. It was written by Nick Reganis. Thank you, Nick. Summoning up every last ounce of courage, the deeply traumatized architect, Cecilia Cass, sneaks away from the lavish seaside mansion of her brilliant but harmfully controlling optics engineer boyfriend, Adrian Griffin, in the dead of night. Wow, that's a really long sentence. (laughs) However, no place, no matter how far away, is safe from manipulative Adrian. And even though Cecilia has found refuge in the house of her dear friend James, who happens to be a cop, she knows that sooner or later she will have to confront Adrian once more. Then suddenly, perversely joyous news reaches Cecilia. Adrian is dead. And for the first time in a long while, she feels free. Nevertheless, eerie instances of an unseen presence haunting and watching her every step suggest otherwise. But fear is the worst enemy. 
Is Cecilia starting to lose her grip on reality or has the invisible man found a way to pick up where he left off? So to fill in the cracks here, yes, Adrian has in fact created a suit that allows himself to be invisible. He uses the suit to further isolate Cecilia from her friends and family by writing a hateful email to her sister from her own email address, ruining a job interview by removing architect projects from her briefcase, hitting James's daughter, but making it seem like it was Cecilia that did it and so much more. Cecilia is on her own when she finds Adrian's old phone with photos of her sleeping on it and a bagged kitchen knife in her attic with a text that says surprise. After a very brutal battle, she manages to escape invisible Adrian and go to his home to search for clues where she finds a second copy of his invisible suit. She decides to meet with her sister Emily in a public restaurant to tell her the news, but Emily is killed right in front of her by an invisible Adrian who forces the knife in her hand when he's done. Cecilia is arrested and taken to a mental institution where she finds out she is pregnant with Adrian's child because he replaced her secret birth control with placebos. Surprise! Cecilia manages to escape the hospital and Adrian informs her that he won't hurt her, just the people she loves. Back at the safe house, James and his daughter are under attack from another invisible presence who turns out to be Adrian's brother. Adrian faked his own death. It wouldn't be impossible to fake his own kidnapping and throw his own brother under the bus. The only way for Cecilia to be safe is to take matters into her own hands. She arranges a dinner with Adrian at his bugged home filled with security cameras, where he continues to gaslight her and hint that he was the real invisible man all along, throwing the word surprise at her face like a romantic gaslighting spit. Cecilia goes to freshen herself up in the bathroom when we see Adrian seemingly kill himself with a steak knife from the table. Cecilia returns to find him on the floor, calls 911, and walks just out of security camera view to say, surprise. She leaves the home with Adrian's second suit in her bag, confirming with James that it looked and sounded definitely like he killed himself. Hit me with that trailer audio. I'm required to read a prepared statement. Cecilia, although our relationship was far from perfect, I thought that you would talk to me rather than run away. Per his final wishes, you're getting $5 million. Contingent, of course, on the fine print. He can't be ruled to be mentally incompetent. He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Someone sitting in that chair. That wasn't the trailer that we saw before seeing the movie, but that was a good trailer. It was just long. Yeah. I think we saw one while we were watching a different horror movie at some point. Yeah, which was more like teaser-ish. It was like a minute, I think. Yeah, I want to say probably Child's Play. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. But uh, it also showed a lot of scenes that didn't happen in the movie, like a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of ones that were like more spooky, like seeing the handprint appear in the shower and like having the his camera floating in front of him. yeah. It almost made it look more like the movie was going to be a bunch of jump scares like that. Oh, okay. I don't know. Or it's like more enticing that shit like that's going to happen. Yeah. I felt like my reaction from seeing that one was that the one that we saw definitely made it seem like it was going to be more about like the twist when the big shift that happens when he kills her sister in front of her was so surprising to me because the trailers that we had seen made it seem like it was going to all be about how like her and her family or her friends and family don't believe her oh. and them thinking that she's crazy and throwing her in an institution, which this trailer did too. But they also showed how the invisible man was really there. It made it look like she was fighting back a lot more in yeah. this one. Yeah. Like they had a lot of shots of her holding knives and guns, which she does do, but it looked more like it would be, she seems crazy because she's holding a gun and shooting the middle of the air. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for some thoughts? Yeah. Well, my first point is that Elizabeth Moss is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> I love that they rely on her so much to tell this story without even speaking like mm -hmm. the whole opening scene of her escaping was really, really great. And that decision of starting the film there without having like 
they don't show how abusive he was to her. I mean, you get a sense of it when he like punches the car window when she's trying to escape. Yeah. But just like going straight to like her executing this plan that she's so well thought out, I thought was a very good decision because you're immediately in her shoes Mm -hmm. and you're fighting along with her to escape. Especially seeing how nice where she lives is. It's like, why would she leave this place? It's so great. She's got everything. Yeah. There has to be a reason. But he puts a shot collar on the dog. So regardless of what he does to her, that's, you know, he's an asshole. For sure. (laughs) And I just wanted to point out that she was also in another movie that we watched this season, which was Us. Oh, yeah. She's the mom of the, like, uh, acrobatic daughters. Yeah. Who, like, she's very lush. Like, she loves to drink. Yeah. And apparently wants a lot of plastic surgery, according to her other half. (laughs) And I haven't seen The Handmaid's Tale, but now I really want to watch that because she's the main actress in that story. Apparently, she gets a lot of roles in like daytime TV. Like she's kind of like a a bit character in a lot of TV shows. Like if you scroll through her IMDb, it's all just like a shit ton of TV shows as well. Nice. And I through researching her, I saw that she's in a movie with Mark Duplass. Ooh. Whoa. Uh, It's called The One I Love. And I've never heard of it, but I watched the trailer and it seems cool. I don't know if it's very, I think it's like sci-fi, not really horror. So we can't do it for the podcast, but I want to watch it. (laughs) I literally didn't know that Mark Duplass was in other things. Oh, he's done so much. (laughs) Oh man, I love that guy. But Creep's definitely my fave. My next point was that I thought the way that they handled Cecilia's isolation was also really well done. The trailers, I kind of already talked about this, but like they definitely made it seem like the main plot was going to be her friends and family not believing her. And that element was definitely there. But the movie did so much more, I thought. Mm. I really enjoyed seeing like all the subtle manipulations that we see Adrian do that makes like huge wedges divide Cecilia from her support system. And that was like so interesting and real to watch because you know that he was doing those things before yeah when they were in a relationship but now he's invisible while he does them yeah which (laughs) is just like showing the audience what cecilia already knows like i feel like it's making more of a it's allowing the viewers to make that connection Mm -hmm. how we can see him doing these changes because we see him pick up a knife or something even though nobody's there Whereas all the gaslighting and the abuse that most survivors feel is completely invisible. And like friends and family don't know. I mean, I've heard stories of abusive boyfriends like intentionally sabotaging an interview so that their uh, their spouse couldn't get independence. Yeah. Like they were fucked up. But he just does it invisibly. It's I I think to a, a classic sitcom character. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of this one, uh, Ross Geller. Oh, tell me more about Ross Geller. Uh, who intentionally sabotages Rachel's career so that she can spend more time with him. Because and- fuck having a friend that's a male. Oh, yeah, that too. But like just in general, like her her whole like spending time at work and becoming he liked her more when she was a. A waitress. Which is so ironic because in that pros and cons list that he so stupidly made. Just a waitress. Yeah, that was one of her cons. But then he's like, you can't not be a waitress. This is all about how Ross Geller is basically Adrian from The Invisible Man. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) You could do one of those trailer edits where it makes Ross look like uh, like an abusive boyfriend. I mean, he is, but then there's a laugh track. So, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. But, oh, man. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of real things that I've heard boyfriends do. But now it's done in this movie invisibly, mm-hmm. which was very, very cool. And my final point kind of ties into that, which I wanted to focus on the ending of this film because I really loved it. Um, it's a the whole movie is such a good film for survivors of abuse to watch. Obviously, if they're distance enough from potential triggers and things. Yeah. Because every survivor has an invisible man of their own that follows them around everywhere they go, regardless. Like they aren't actually there, but you always are. It's always in the back of your mind, Mm -hmm. that fear and how much they control you and change who you are. And something that I've learned recently is that survivors of any kind of abuse need to figure out what their own justice is. And that can be very different from person to person, but it's a huge stepping stone of moving on because like a lot of people won't actually receive the like 
societal definition of justice of like, they're going to go to jail. Or I'm going to wear an invisible suit and make him <laughs> slice his own throat and then stand as he dies. Exactly. <laughs> because Cecilia is literally best friends with a cop. And he just tells her, like, shut the fuck up and let me do my job at yeah. the end. Which was the system will take care of this rich white man. But they won't. Yeah. <laughs> so she had to take matters into her own hands. And I feel like that was very, a very pivotal moment. But when we see her leave Adrian's house after killing him and having that, like the camera, like zooms in on her, her face and she kind of smiles and breathes. Yeah. It's like a release. It is definitely like the one moment in the film where you feel like you can relax. Yeah. But I also feel like now, like she doesn't full on smile, not like in a creepy way, but like the relief that she feels isn't huge. Yeah. Because now she's just going to have to deal with the figurative invisible man that will still follow her around for a long time. Oh, yeah. You know that there'll be a scene later on where she's like sitting in a chair wearing the suit invisible just so that she can feel comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that that was very cool. And I find that a lot of media doesn't present survivors of sex or like just a regular abuse in a very positive light. They're very weak. So it's nice that she as a final girl got this revenge or this justice. Mm-hmm. But it's also like very well done how like she has a long road ahead of her. Yeah. I feel like a lot of these sort of like survivor movies, the ultimate goal is killing the person or having them die or be arrested. Mm-hmm. And they don't ever really like have an alternate way of showing it. Like yeah. there's, there's n- rarely any other version for people in movies. Yeah, that's true. And I, uh, one thing like you hear a lot is like the best revenge is just living your best life, which is true. But like you got to, deal with your other shit first. (laughs) You can't live a good life until you have your own version of justice and being able to move on. Yeah. I'm now just thinking back to all of the like survivor movies that you watch and like enough. She beats the shit out of him and kills him. Uh, There's that one, that other one where she like goes to a beach house or something. And I'm pretty sure in the end of the movie, the guy's dead. Oh, sleeping with the enemy. Yeah. That was good. I think that one. But a guy has to save her in that one, which is less good. Yeah. It's all just it's all just killing the dude. The call. That one was good. That one. They fucking leave him in a basement to uh, to eventually die. His own sex torture basement. Uh, Room. I think the guy also still dies in that one. I don't. Th- I think he gets. Uh, he gets imprisoned. Oh yeah. The cops definitely like are involved in that. That's one. still imprisonment, though. It's yeah. either death or imprisonment. That's yeah. the only justice. Yeah. So it's interesting. If for real survivors, you're probably not. Well, I don't want to speak for everybody, but in my situation, I won't receive police justice because they literally never called the guy. Yeah. And um. I'm not going to kill somebody. <laughs> so I have to find my own version of justice. Uh-huh. Yay. And we're not going to wish harm on anyone publicly on this podcast. No. No, not in a traceable manner that could get back to us. You'll never know. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And I like it also is weird because a lot of those put the put the like transformation of being OK on the other person, like on something happening to the other person. Yes. And it's rarely like. I started going to the beach or like I went to Spain or like I did something for myself that I've always wanted to do that I felt like I was held back, which obviously doesn't necessarily have to be the solution. But I feel like also like searching inward for the thing that would help you the most that you can do also is a good solution. Yeah, I've been like for myself, I've been doing a lot more activism with WAVA, my favorite charity. Uh-huh. Women Against Violence Against Women in Vancouver. They're local. Go give them money. And they're on Tiltify now, so you can donate to them. Yeah. But um, the idea of like turning your rage into activism is something that's really cool. And it just feels good to like help other people yeah. when you know that you can't get what you want. See, I was sitting here thinking that your um, way of finding your bliss was just buying a shit ton of dice. Oh, man, I've been doing that, too. (laughs) That's not for this podcast, though. (laughs) Just turning into a dice goblin. (laughs) I am. I love RP. I love tabletop RPGs, man. And I love shiny things. Shiny (laughs) shiny rocks go. (laughs) 
shiny plastic. <laughs> do you have some thoughts? I do. Do you want to share them, my love? Uh, yeah, I might as well. <laughs> so my first thought is, I feel like I kind of alluded to this when we watched The Conjuring because I didn't think we were going to do this movie, so I sort of talked about this idea. Yeah. But uh, it does a, this movie's cinematography does a really good job of framing a subject that doesn't exist in the world. Yes. Um, the Conjuring, I talked about how they did it with like following a subject through a scene that there was no subject there. Um, and this one does a really good job of like turning the camera to look at a spot that like someone might be standing and never is there anybody standing there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, a or st- is there there or is there's the <laughs> invisible man? Yes, but you can't see them. It would be a very expensive for them to actually have a person in a green suit standing there and then cutting it out for every single shot. Hmm, interesting point <laughs> you make. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> But I really like that because they do it very early in the moving, which sets kind of a tone for the cinematography that this is what you can expect. And they're probably going to play with it uh, to fuck with you. The unknown is so scary. Oh, yeah. And especially I don't know how to articulate this. There's something about the camera being a little bit sassy that I really like where it's like, oh, yeah, there should be someone here, but there ain't someone here. I gotcha. (laughs) And then never really doing anything else with that. Like, especially with the, especially with a Bloomhouse movie where you expect that one time the camera's going to turn and there's going to be a jump scare. Yeah. Like it's always just fucking look, let's look at this corner where there could be someone standing, but there ain't nobody there. I <laughs> gotcha. I don't think I included it in the scaredy facts, but uh, the director, Lee Waddell specifically calls out the f- opening scene of they planned. So the, idea was to make the audience like anticipate things happening that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and they did it so many times. Like there are a lot of mirror shots, like all classic jump scares that you would see don't happen. Especially after seeing the bloom house, like chair spinning girl standing in the corner opening production uh, yeah. scenes. So very spooky. You're like, ah, oh, fuck, this is going to be a jump scare movie. Yeah, but it's not or very rarely. Yeah. And one thing we didn't really notice in the theater for some reason was that a lot of those shots are accompanied by like the clicking sound of the suit, which is very subtle. Like, I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, it's like clicking. It's like a bunch of little cameras readjusting themselves very slightly. Actually, yeah, like a very quiet shutter, like a shutter speed adjustment. Like, yeah. And like a lot of them. Yeah. And I don't know why we didn't notice it. In the theater? Yeah, especially because the sound design would be, or not sound design, it's the same, but like the system that was there is so much better. But we definitely noticed it a lot more here, Yeah, watching it again. And I don't even know why we would be more ready for it, because we didn't know that it was a thing. But yeah, yeah. I did read, actually, maybe this is why, um, someone called out the Invisible Man for like, it wouldn't even make sense. It's made out of cameras. They would, you'd totally be able to hear like the suit in like every scene that it's in. And I, Do you uh, think they added it in for the, the Blu-ray release? No, I just mean that like I was paying attention more, I guess, or ready to hear something just because I had read that fact. Like it's not like a well-published conspiracy or anything. It's just like, oh, that person was wrong. You can hear it in all the I scenes. Because uh, she does look up a lot at nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's established early on in the movie that she hears that clicking sound and looks where the suit is in the in the, his office. Yeah. And it's just not there. Yeah. Um, but it is subtle enough that you could almost argue that it is supposed to be like ambient noise. Like it's just the creeping ambience of movie music. And they do a good job of making it when it does appear blend into other things like crickets outside or Or typing on her keyboard. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. I just like the artistry behind filming. Nobody. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. My second point is that the movie is fairly pacing in the beginning. Like it's sort of setting up the characters and like her mentality and giving you this idea of like, maybe she is safe for a bit. But then when shit starts hitting the fan, it hits really hard. Like, yeah. And and they did such a good job of hiding it 
Oh, yeah. Out of fucking nowhere, it starts popping off. Yeah. Like, when she's crying on the floor because her sister just got her email that said that she sucks and she hates she's her. She's like a waste of space and like, yeah. yeah. Then when Sydney walks in and starts talking to her, you're like, okay, there's going to be kind of a downbeat now because. And she starts like bringing up like, we'll have a girl's night. Yeah, we'll, we'll kick my cake. dad out. And then she gets fucking <laughs> smacked in the face. And then that immediately goes into like a battle in the kitchen. And then like for the scene where they're at the restaurant and uh, Cecilia is talking to her sister. Mm-hmm. like. When I first watched this in theaters, I kind of thought there would be a moment of like, oh, she convinces her. They start working together to solve the case. Yeah. Or that she would be like, you're crazy. Like, there's no way. Like, he's dead. Yeah. You're this. We have crime scene photos of him being dead. Yeah. But she said that she had evidence. So I thought maybe they would at least make it back to the house Mm. and maybe the suit would be gone or something. I don't know. But then you see the knife floating in midair and even... In that moment in the theater, I was like, you fucked up, Adrian. Now there's proof. Now you're caught. And then it slit her throat. And I was like, I did not expect that to happen even a little bit. Yeah. And it it happened so goddamn suddenly. So shocking. Like, I can't even think of a twist that it's not really a twist, but like a turn, like a pivot. I mean, that's like fucking Game of Thrones. Like you're sitting there having some fun and enjoying a wedding. And then suddenly someone's stomach gets slit open and you're like, oh, God. Spoilers. But yeah, yeah, it was so well done. It was so good. Yeah. Oh, and I love this movie. I want <laughs> I want to buy like a steel book of it and just listen to the director's commentary and everything. Yeah, that was it was good. Hey, everyone, we have some news. We wanted to start off by pulling back the curtain a bit on our own behind the scenes. This podcast is made possible thanks to awesome sponsors who provide us with free product to use on our show. But it turns out that one of our past sponsors is not actually awesome. Both season one and two of Drinking and Screaming have been sponsored by Muddlers and Parallel 49 Brewing, but we are now cutting ties with them. It has recently come to light that they are a racist and transphobic organization and we will not be associating with them or promoting their products anymore. And if you have any of their liquor, just pour it down the sink or throw it out the window. Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. In happier news. <laughs> fuck, why'd you have to make me say that? That sounds like such a such a weird turn. Anyways, this episode <laughs> is our season finale, but don't worry, we'll be back with a whole new slew of horror films in season three on Monday, August 3rd. If you want to tell us some feedback and help make season three of Drinking and Screaming extra awesome, you can fill out our audience feedback survey at bit.ly slash survey 2020 This episode of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by the lovely and always po- pro-gay and pro-all-races and trans. Woo! The lovely Mad Lab Distilling. They provided us with the premium vodka used in this week's cocktail. It's award-winning. It's fancy and it tastes good. Don't go buy that muddler's trash. Yeah. Go buy some Mad Labs. Uh, <laughs> Elixir of the gods. Nephrodite herself poured this shit down into a brewery and then it was delivered to us. <laughs> Aphrodite? Not Nephrodite. Aphrodite is the, lo- the goddess of love. Yeah. And her uh, ambrosia makes you super horny. <laughs> All the information you could ever need about us is on our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. If you want to help support the show and get some awesome rewards like stickers, coasters, bonus episodes, and more, go to patreon.com slash drinkandscream. That's also where you can vote on our Patreon polls to tell us what we should watch next. Whoa! In this season break, if you're feeling sad and lonely, just listen to our bonus episodes. They're on there. Also, I'm going to start editing those and editing the podcast from this point forward, which is very scary. But you can follow me on that (laughs) journey on Patreon. You can also follow me on that journey on all of our social medias on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. You can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com and you can join our discord bit.ly slash hopped up discord. We've run into a, a bit of an issue when people land on the Discord page that it says Hopped Up Gaming. Just to be clear, that's like our umbrella organization. It's where every project that Shar and I work on, as long as well as a lot of our friends and people who've guested on the podcast work on. So 
I don't know if we're going to try to make that more clear in the future or make a drinking and screaming discord or what, but we'll let you know. Just go to bit.ly slash hopped up discord. When you see hopped up gaming, click accept anyways, say hello to us and we will tell you what's what's up. Hell yeah. Pulling back the curtain on all sorts of things. Now it's time to get back to the episode. And then uh, my final point is that to quote Aaron again from The Office, I like the part of the movie where everyone's happy. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it doesn't start out that way. Like the movie starts with Cecilia incredibly sad and traumatized. Yeah. Um, But after she learns that Adrian is dead, there's that moment where like her, James and and Sydney are hanging out and having fun. And she receives we didn't really I didn't include it in the synopsis. But when Adrian is dead, Cecilia is given like a huge amount of money. It's in the trailer. But uh, it's five million dollars. A hundred thousand dollars every month for a few years. Yeah. And she is so selfless. She gives a big chunk of this money to Sydney so that she can go to college Mm -hmm. and like and there's uh, a whole moment where they're like having a pillow fight and drinking champagne and in the morning she's like I'm kind of hung over and James is like yeah me too we're getting old see and then then they leave and it's like their their chemistry was just so good yeah like those three actors work so well together to make you feel like oh maybe maybe things are picking up and this movie's just gonna end now yep yeah. Ooh, baby. Which then makes like the turn where James start, starts not believing her and like becoming this huge asshole to her so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Even to the point where as he's getting his ass beaten, he's like, I don't know if that suit worked or not. As air is beating his skull in. Yeah. Come that, on, James. I'm glad you brought up that moment, though. That scene really affected me the first time in particular that we watched it in the theater because Sydney. This is like when an invisible man, it turns out to be the brother, is in their home and he started attacking the daughter, Sydney. But then James comes in to save her and then he like basically almost beats James to death in front of his daughter. And that was so I I mean, at this point, like we've seen people's necks slit open and like I was like, he's going to be beaten to death in front of her. Oh, my gosh. And he lives. But like. Oh, I just realized something. What? The Adrian's brother, if he's the one in the police station, I, it must be because there's no way that they could get Adrian. In, well, they I don't know. Whoever was in the invisible suit at the police station makes great pains to never kill a cop, even to the point where he doesn't kill James. I wonder if there's some reason behind that. Like he wants them all to be on his side or to tell the story that C was there when they all got beaten up or something. Maybe. They're relying on because when, as an example, when Sydney gets hit by an invisible person, the only person visible in the room is Cecilia. So yeah. obviously it had to be her, which is the same in the mental institution when there are, are all those cops. Like the only person they're seeing yeah. is Cecilia. Like you would hope that they would be like, no, someone grabbed my wrist and shot me in the leg while Cecilia was like a mile but down. They don't the want to seem crazy. Yeah. Then they'll just be like, nah, she did it. Exactly. Just in the same way that James did it. It's like, I don't know who beat me up, but you were in the, I don't know. Which means, though, because we know that Adrian doesn't want Cecilia to be killed or whatever. She's the mother of his baby. She's his prized possession that he has to have ownership over. Yeah. So he's not going to kill cops and make it look like she did it. Just injure cops very severely. I mean, she's white so it's not like the cops are gonna start shooting on her anyways he can't have access to her if she's in a prison he's a rich man he could get access to her no matter where she is Oof. like yeah it is <laughs> especially what's with what's going on in the world the fact that she got away with so much cop violence and didn't just get fucking shot on the spot is like huge privilege for her yeah but it is like adrian knowing that she'll be safe because they wouldn't just shoot her in the middle of a hallway. It would look bad for them to kill a white woman in the middle of a hallway. A mental, a seemingly mentally ill white woman. Yeah, exactly. Even if ghosts are attacking them, I I got off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was good. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, James doesn't believe her, even after getting his ass beat by a ghost 
Uh, thus proving there are no good cops. Yeah. No, not a single damn good cop. Even before that, like, I do want to point out her friends kind of suck. Oh, yeah. Which like they do. Don't get me wrong. He puts her like he puts her up like in her his house, like is totally fine to shelter the battered woman. Yeah. But then as soon as she starts to like when she takes James with her to go and confront the brother, be like, I know that he's alive. Immediately, James like looks at her like, like what? oh, Man. like, what are you talking about? You crazy lady. Yeah. And that like he doesn't even he starts off so strong. Like, I don't know why we're here, but we're going to listen. So you better shut the fuck up. And then as soon as she says why they're here, he immediately doesn't believe her. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because they set his character up so good. Like he's trying to get her to go out of her comfort zone to like get back to some sort of normal. But then, yeah, the moment that she goes off the rail, like appears to be going off the rails a bit. He's he backs out completely. Doesn't give the benefit of the doubt at all. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So that sucks. But and even at the end, like again, when she not the very, very end, but when she's in the police station after having killed Adrian's brother, he's like, I don't know, man, like just uh, clearly Adrian was kidnapped and he didn't do any of this. It was whatever. Like, there's no way that he did it. This made me think of one. One positive thing with James and Cecilia's relationship is that not once did it ever become sexual. They didn't write in that he was like the sa- the handsome savior that protected her from her ex. They were just friends. And I think that's kind of rare to ever see like a. He is still handsome and her sort of savior. But yeah, yeah the, it's very nice. That's platonic. That too. Like he's extremely attractive. And mm. at no point does he hit on her or like, yeah, suggest that they should get together because they're living in the same house. Like he's they're always just friends, which I is a very random, but also like cool thing. Yeah, for sure. But also he's not a good person, <laughs> which is sad. Like he is a good person, but ugh, it really bothers me. It's such it's so prevalent in society. Like just fucking believe women. Why yeah. do you never believe us? For anything. Literally not a single person believed her. So the entire movie was her. Fighting on her own, which is exactly what it's like for survivors, basically. Which is why this movie is so good. Not even the fucking Uber driver believed her when she called up her sister and she's like, I might not have that much time left. He kind of like side eyes her like, all right, lady. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, somewhere in that conversation was my last uh, thought. (laughs) Which means it's time for. Scaredy facts. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, this part of our podcast uh, mirrors our real life relationship of when we watch horror movies, we like to, because we're so scared, obviously, uh, go on to movie sites, IMDb, different trivia interviews, uh, and try and get us ourselves not spooked and just relax in bed uh, as we read trivia facts about the movie we just watched. Movies like this seem hard to do because it's all just reality. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have some cool how it's made stuff. So, uh, yeah, this time I did the scaredy facts. So Kelly has no idea what these points will be. I can't see them at all. Whoa. They're invisible. (laughs) Starting with the budget, which was an estimated seven million, which is pretty big. But I'll get to that in a second. Opening weekend, it fucking blew the budget out of the water. It made 28 million in the U.S. alone. Nice. That was all us. <laughs> in the U.S. alone. Yeah, because we went there. <laughs> but then worldwide gross so far is 124.3 million. Nice. So it's very successful. That means people want to watch movies about the struggles of being a woman. Yeah. Which hopefully we get more of. <laughs> but something that was super interesting to me What's like the first thing, let's see if this is right, that you think about when you think of my cottage and creepiness? The basement? Damn it. Okay, second thing. The trees that have been planted to be extremely artificial. Ah, so pine trees aren't native to Australia, which is where the movie was filmed. So the sequence where Cecilia runs into the night in the the pine trees and stuff when she's escaping the house was actually shot at a plantation where they're grown for furniture and Christmas trees. Sick. (laughs) So if the sun was up, you would see that these pine trees are planted in very neat, straight rows. Not natural at all. I think I minorly picked up that it kind of looked like a set, which would probably be for that reason. Yeah. But uh, I'm not going to 
toot my own own horn saying that I knew that. Yeah. But I just thought it was funny because you think that that is scary. It's it is. It's creepy. <laughs> Nature doesn't grow in lines. We learned that from Watership Down, I think. What's that bunny book? Someone in the comments knows. What? Hit me up in the comment. There is a book about bunnies. And in some point in that book, it mentions that straight lines are a human construct and therefore kind of scary. All right. I think it's talking about avoiding roads. Man, if I'm wrong, this is I'm going to leave this. Someone will, <laughs> someone will correct the fuck out of me. Get at us. Uh, this time, this next one, uh, I pointed it out while we were watching the, the second time, not the first time. The outside wall of the mental institution has a graffiti piece depicting Billy the puppet, which is the doll from the Jigsaw Killer, uh, like Saw movies, which is because director Lee Winnell wrote and starred in Saw. I want to say Hereditary. It also shows up on the blackboard behind the dead. Yes. Yes. Good job. Was Lee involved at that in that at all? James Wan. <laughs> yes. I have a few obvious facts that I have to include, which both of us called out as we were watching it. So Easter egg number one. When Ooh. Cecilia is in the hospital and she sees a patient is staring at her being brought out on a stretcher, his whole head is bandaged, bandaged up apart from his eyes. This aesthetic of the bandaged head is a reference to the original design of the Invisible Man's costume disguise in the original series from 1933 to 1951. Wait, it was a TV series? Yes. Did it have an entirely different plot or was it, sorry, like 20 years of a woman being chased down by her invisible ex-husband? I should say this isn't the movie that we watch this in a remake. It's like they used characters and like the concept of the Invisible Man. I've never seen any of the original in the Invisible Man. The only Invisible Man I know is from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes, which they also reference. They do a nod to the original Invisible Man series. Oh, do they? Yeah. When he has the 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 fedora and the glasses and he's like, oh, I look familiar, don't I? That's not how he sounds at all. But do you want to watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen after this? Sure. I love that movie. My next very obvious Easter egg. Oh, my God. When Cecilia is in bed asleep and Adrian is taking photos of her upon waking, she looks up and she sees a hat and trench coat on the stand. This is a throwback to the original design of the Invisible <laughs> Man, which is what I just said. <laughs> Wait, was the series about a guy that was also stalking his wife for 20 years? <laughs> All right. Next one. So this is about how you were like you mentioned in your points that they didn't put a green screen, a green suited man in these scenes because that would be so expensive to remove. And yet they did. Whoa. For, for all of them? No. Okay. So I, this is like a big chunk of a paragraph, which I assume is taken from the director's commentary, which I really want to listen to myself. But I took this from IMDb. So let me just read through this here. When Nell and his crew used a combination of old school techniques and up to date CGI wizardry to bring the invisible man to life with some scenes requiring a fully green suited figure that could be painted out later and others achieved with nothing more than a simple bit of string. Well, with, say, the fight scenes, that was a real mixture of things, when all said. We had Lizzie being pulled around in wires. We had a stunt person in a green suit who then had to be removed digitally. But then also in those scenes, we would also use really old school practical effects like pulling doors closed with a piece of string. Some props guy would be hidden in a cabinet and he would pull this piece of string and a door would close or a cabinet would open. It made you realize that how you do a visual effect doesn't matter. It's only the end result that matters. Uh, and I don't think I go into it uh, more than just that fact. But reading more there, uh, Elizabeth Moss specifically asked to have Adrian there Ooh. in a green suit. But like she knew who it was. And it's a very actor thing. Like you it's sure she could emote to nobody what she does frequently in this film. Mm -hmm. There never there is not an invisible person for every scene. But in scenes that it really, really matters. Like the when she's being like, I see you in the uh, institution and she's oh, yeah. being like strapped down. He was there in that scene. What there. about the one where she's sitting with the coffee in front of her and she's like, why me? Why did you choose me? I feel like that would definitely be one. They don't go into detail and like purposefully they've decided to not be public with the knowledge of when 
it is a green suit when it's somebody on set but not there or when nobody is there at all. Sorry, that doesn't make any sense because if it's a monologue shot, like if it's a shot reverse shot, they wouldn't need him in a green suit. They could just have him standing there behind the camera. I'm sure, yeah, Yeah. for that in particular. It would have to be scenes where they're shot together. Otherwise, that's... Like, we dressed up the actor in a green suit and then had him stand behind the camera. (laughs) Yeah. That was easier to act to than the actor in sweats. Yeah, for sure. I also wanted to say, like, the I think I bring it up later. Remind me about the kitchen scene if I don't. Okay. Next one on my list, the character of Adrian's brother, Tom, who's played by Michael Dorman, is meant to feel as if nothing about him fits. And that's made literal in his costume. His suits are a couple sizes too small to complete this subtle image, which is, uh, I think, really cool. Is it like he's wearing his brother's suits? (laughs) That could be it. He's also like always hunched over, I noticed. Well, because his jacket is probably like cinching him in oh that makes sense uh yeah when cecilia uh is confronting him she's like you're just a jellyfish version of your brother you know where i'm going with this yeah you do no i mean he he's hunched over so it looks like he doesn't have a spine oh <laughs> well to go with costuming um she calls him a jellyfish version of the brother then when the invisible man is attacking sydney in their house, she's wearing a jellyfish pajama top. Oh. And it's to like show us like foreshadowing that it's not Adrian, it's Tom. That's some f- four dimensional <laughs> chest right there. Isn't that cool though? Yeah. I was like, is he wearing like a little, a little jellyfish lapel on his undersized suit? <laughs> <laughs> Next on my list, the attic scene originally had Cecilia finding more than just the phone, knife, and portfolio. She found food that he'd been eating. She found a little stack of her clothes that included her underwear. And some of it is actually still visible in the film. You can see it in the corner at, if you're following along at home, 55 minutes and one second. And in the shot that follows. I'm glad that they removed that because him not eating kind of gives him this like supernatural feeling. Mm. Like he's so put together that he doesn't even need to fucking like leave food behind. Yeah. And also taking out the underwear makes it less sexual. Like it is pure power over her and not even like, I'm so obsessed with you sexually. It's just like, I'm going to control you as a, as a human. That's interesting that you bring that up because the idea of sexual assault in society, it's rarely actually about sex. Yeah. It's all about power. And having that control over somebody. Yeah. So it's good that they removed him. Like, you don't want to imagine this, like, huge, smart, overthinking villain who's a sociopath just sniffing her underwear in the attic that kind of, like, like, depowers him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This next one that I have, I included specifically because I knew that you were going to talk about the camera work and all the panning shots. So this is another big chunk here. One way they made the Invisible Man seem so real without using any visual effects was through frequent calculated panning shots. So in most films, the camera pans to a specific character or object to focus the audience's attention. The other key to making the cinematography scary was to use the negative space. They film lots of empty spaces where the character might be, even though you can't actually see him and the audience is never quite sure. Much of this was accomplished through unusual framing, leaving extra space around or behind Cecilia. The viewer assumes he's standing in the corner or sitting in the chair, which makes the audience uneasy. For example, in the interrogation scene, the corner of the room is bare and in frame. So Cecilia and the audience assume he's standing right there in the shot, listening to everything. One of the kitchen scenes is a wide still shot. It lingers there for a long time after Cecilia leaves the frame. This was intended to be a moment for the audience to frantically search the image for any signs of him. Winnell says that he wanted you to be afraid you would miss something. The director confirmed that the Invisible Man is in most of these shots, but only he knows exactly which ones. There are only a few where the character is not present where we think he might be. Mm. So all that to say, you're so right in what you were saying. Yeah, he's not in the kitchen. The knife fell and then didn't make a clatter and then the bacon burned itself by itself yeah that was a probably a poor example that they <laughs> used that wasn't me that was from IMDb but you know what I mean yeah but I do understand because there are parts of the movie where she's shouting into a corner and if you remove yourself from her just seems like she's shouting at no but like she seems mentally unwell yeah which is exactly what he's trying to make her feel like exactly yeah oh man 
I have one final fact. Is it guns? Close. Is it cars? It is. Yay. Which actually, I'm disappointed now because there were so many guns in this film. There could have been some. But I am happy to give you these vehicle facts, which is, which are, sorry, Adrian's car in his garage is a 2015 Audi R8 5.2 FSI Quattro Type 4S. He also has two motorcycles, a 2009 Yamaha VMX 1700 VMAX and a 2012 Ducati Diavel. Diavel? Diavel, sure. I think it's supposed to be like Diablo. Oh, okay. Well, Diablo is devil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, back when I thought I was going to get a car at some point, I always wanted to get an Audi TT because they're so they're so round and cute. And it was my favorite car in Need for Speed Underground too. <laughs> Literally, if we hooked up my Xbox original, popped in Need for Speed Underground too. I know for it a would fact, pop up for sure. Yeah, I know for a fact that my car is like decked to the nines, and it's an Audi TT. Nice. Yeah. Me. I would always want every time I see a Mini Cooper drive by, I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of car I would get if I drove. But driving gives me anxiety. Yeah. I like how we both like tiny cars. Yeah. My other go to is a Nissan 350Z, which is kind of looks like an Audi TT. It's very round and and adorable. Ooh. Yeah. You ready for some final thoughts? I think so. All right. Yeah. I just want to point out that I saw some comments online that were basically like, you know, blink and you'll miss it moment. This movie is about a survivor of, of an abuse relationship trying to leave their partner. And I'm like, what? Again, that's the plot <laughs> of the movie. Did, what movie were you watching? <laughs> but in all seriousness, this movie is totally my jam. It's exactly the kind of horror that I go for because humans. And I love the ending of this film. I love that she was able to take her power back and get the justice that she needed. And she took that justice into her own hands. Her own best friend who was a cop wasn't going to help her. I don't know. From the sound of the tape, it sounded like he killed himself. So, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. My final thought is that I kind of thought going into this movie that watching it a second time, especially so close to the first time we watched it, would be sort of a slog. Like the moment it started and it was really slow of her like escaping and whatnot. I was like, oh, okay, I got to It's going to be a little bit to sit through this, but it's for the podcast. But like the moment... I'm specifically thinking the moment that the dog bumps into the car and the alarm goes off, I think it does a really good job of uh, balancing its pace throughout the rest of the movie. The beginning was just very slow and tense. And because I knew that nothing was going to happen until the dog bumped into the car, I was like, "Eh, all right, I'm I'm glad that you put that little notice on because like I find that scene so stressful. Oh, yeah. When we were sitting in the theater watching that for the first time, like the entire audience was just dead silent throughout that entire scene. It's just like watching it a second time. You know that she's good until the dog hits the car. And that was a time for me to get drinks and such. (laughs) Well, that's been The Invisible Man, a movie about just an innocent guy that gets killed by his ex-girlfriend. Whoa. (laughs) And that's a wrap on our second season. Thank you all for joining us on this wild ride. We'll be back on August 3rd to start off season three. In the meantime, you can fill the hole in your hearts by filling out the audience feedback survey at bit.ly slash DAS survey 2020. I'm going to assume that you have season three start on the third as a intended thing. It totally was on purpose and not because the first Monday of August was on the third. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah, Bye! Click, 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 click.